we're in a uh, series now. Yep. Uh, this is week three. We're calling Grace Under Fire. And really, it's a series about how to live as a Christ follower in challenging and difficult times. So before we get to the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, we want to do a quick little survey. And uh, so I'm going to name some things, and I want you to think about, uh, you know, how you identify with these and which of these is your highest priority. So here they are. American, Republican, Democrat, Independent, your gender, your sexual orientation, your race, your economic status, Christianity. As you hear that list, which one would you say is most foundational to who you are, your sense of who you are, and what sets the priorities for your life? You see, the letter that we're going to be reading from Peter uh, in Scripture is written to Christ followers, and the assumption, the underlying assumption that Peter has is that the thing that they most identify as, with all the other things that they might identify as, the thing that most identifies who they are mm -hmm. is the fact that they're Christ followers. Yeah, so this letter that was written by Peter, is, uh, it, it makes that assumption that our faith in Jesus is our first priority. Now, not that all those other identities are unimportant. Right. They still serve, they're very important to us, but our faith is the foundation upon which everything else is built. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It's going to be up on the screen over our shoulders here, and I'm going to read it to you as well. And so let's read this from 1 Peter chapter 3. So he says, finally, excuse me, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Yeah. You know, it starts with a really big challenge, right? Yeah. Be of one mind. Um, I don't know what it was like in the first century, but I got to say in the 21st century, being of one mind on anything these days seems to be really challenging. Right? And, and especially today, right? I mean, we oh have an gosh. election that is less than 30 days away, and right. it is heated to say the least. Really? Right? I haven't yeah. heard. It's, yeah, so, and then we've got this health crisis mm -hmm. and conflicting uh, understandings about, you know, protocols and mm -hmm. what's best and what's overstated and understated, uh, all of that. Yeah, um, we, have, we have protests, yeah. we have violence, all uh, uh, in response to the racism that is uh, uh, throughout, our, uh, throughout our culture. Yeah, we're dealing with uh, certainly a struggling economy mm -hmm. with 8% of... Uh, uh, our nation unemployed and, uh, and struggling, small businesses are struggling and so forth. And so there's a level, I guess, of frustration yeah. and anger that's coming through all of that, that it's hard to imagine being of one mind, yeah, and yet absolutely. Peter calls us to be a people of one mind. And it's so easy with all of this mm. anger and all of this frustration to get sucked into it, right? Yeah. Mm. I feel it within myself. I was sharing with Rick that uh, I was in a conversation with a good friend um, fairly recently, and 
he uh, and I disagreed on one of these issues, and as we were talking about it, I could feel you know the <laughs> anger welling up yeah. in me, and my words were starting to get sharp, and I was you know I was on the verge of saying things that I should not be saying. I shouldn't even be thinking these things. We're brothers in Christ, and uh, but that's that's how it is. So so it's not that. I'm above this, or that because we're Christ followers, we're above this, but we're being called to rise above this. Yeah, and while we think that it's, it's uh, worse in the 21st century, really, division among people is as old as human beings. Yes. I mean, I mean it, it, it's part of our DNA, it seems, right? We're just wired uh, to, to divide. I mean, for instance, in the first century city of Antioch, which is, you can read about in the book of Acts, that city was divided by about 18 different ethnic groups. Now, imagine that 18 different opinions, different heritages, all these different cultures of thought, uh, all of these things were going on. So, of course, division was sure to be flourishing in that community because of all these different ideas and thoughts. And I assume that there were times where nobody seemed to be getting along. Yeah. Uh, so there were some first century Christ followers that after leaving Jerusalem, and you read about it in Acts, they became residents of Antioch. And so in the midst of this divided city, this is where these Christ followers were first called Christians because they, were, they noticed that they were following Jesus. They were living differently. So they became, they, they were nicknamed by the people living in Antioch as Christians. So that's where, that, that's where it came from. And so this church, this community of believers, because of the way that they chose to live, were bringing unity, not division, into this culturally divided environment. And so while the 21st century may seem worse, and at times uh, it may be worse, brokenness <laughs> and division have always been part of our human reality. And this is likely why Peter begins by highlighting the importance of unity, that we are in this divided world. And, but when we are in a world that's divided, unity is most remarkable in times like that, right? It's, it's most attractive, it's, it's most desired, and it's, it really stands out. Because I don't think, I think there are very few people who want division. I don't, I don't think that's our desire. The, ch the challenge is, is that we're selfish. And because of our selfishness, it leads to division. And, and we're also, you know, just as, as a, 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 a kind of a, a, a little side point here is that, is that unity is, is um, it doesn't mean we all think the same. Right. right? It, it's it, it, it's kind of like the idea of that you can play different notes of, of music and it creates a chord. And when it's, it's a beautiful harmony. So our differences can live and work together when we do it in the way that God intended. So in this scripture that we just had read, Peter gives what I would describe as three pillars to build unity among Christians. And you know, as you read it, you realize it's so simple. I mean, these things he's describing are so simple. Uh, Sunday school kids get this. It's so simple, and yet, here's the thing, it's not easy. None of this is easy. And so what he begins to say, what he begins by saying, this first pillar, if you will, is that we are to sympathize with each other. We're to sympathize with each other. Now, to say sympathy isn't about feeling sorry for somebody. When you think of sympathy, sometimes that's what comes yes, to mind. Sympathy I feel sorry. cards, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not that. It's not about feeling sorry. It's really a desire to understand the other person and their perspective. Your desire is to really understand that. 
And in order to do that, if I'm going to truly sympathize in that way, that means I have to put my own desires, my own thoughts, my own perspective aside so that I can hear from this other person. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do. It is right? hard, yeah. Some reasons that's hard to do is, one, because I don't want to understand the other person. I want to be understood. Right. I want you to sympathize with me. I want you to understand my perspective, my thoughts, my uh, attitudes and so forth. I don't necessarily want to understand yours. So I have to get over that kind of selfishness in order to truly sympathize. Another reason it's, it's difficult is because it takes time and effort yeah. to do that, mm -hmm. you know, to, sit, to take the time to really unpack why somebody thinks the way they do, why they feel the way that they do, why they respond the way they, they, they do. It's going to take time to figure that out. I'm going to have to be putting in effort to ask questions and to really listen and to unpack it. And third, it, it just sounds weak, yeah. you know, to do this. <laughs> like, I, I don't need to do all that. Here's the thing you need to know. Here's what it's about. Either get on board or get out of my way. That sounds strong, but the reality is sympathy is really strength. So it's worth it to do all of this. What I want to say is it's worth the time. It's worth the effort. It's worth putting my, my stuff aside in order to hear that. A couple of reasons why I would say it's worth it is, one, when you do that with somebody, you develop a level of trust. Yeah. When, when they hear that you care about what they think and what they feel and you're going to spend the time, you develop trust, and the friendship that you have with that person grows deeper. Another thing that, that makes this so important is that your perspective expands. When you do that, your perspective expands. Believe it or not, not everything that you think, not everything that you believe, not all of your understandings are all true or all accurate or the only way to think, feel, or look at something. So when you take the time to hear how other people think and perceive things, your understanding, your perspective expands, your wisdom deepens. Mm -hmm. And then when we do that, here's the thing, here's the benefit to the church. <clears throat> when people sympathize with each other, the church becomes more unified, the culture of the church becomes more healthy, and a unified, healthy church has greater impact. I yeah. think that's part of the story of, of hope over the 30 years. Not that we've always done this or we do this perfectly, but I think this has always been a priority, mm -hmm. which is why I think that we have the unity that we have. We have a, a healthy um, culture here at the church, and the impact that this church has had over 30 years has been significant. Yeah. So, sympathize. The second pillar, then, uh, that Peter talks about is that we are to love each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, the Greek word that uh, Peter would have used here is philodophos, philodophos. And that's where we get Philadelphia, yep. the city of brotherly love, right? So that word, Philadophus, in the Greek is really two words put together. The first is to be friendly or to wish the other well, to wish the other well. And the second word is to be of the same people group, to be of the same people group to wish each other well, recognizing that you're of the same people group. So Peter is saying that we're of the, we are like brothers and we're like yes. siblings. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. You have siblings? Yes, I do. I have two sisters. 
So do I. I have two sisters. I also have a brother. One of my sisters has actually been part of our online campus since March, which is kind of amazing wow. to me. So I have to be careful of the things I say and I share. Um, the thing about siblings, though, is they don't always get along, do right. they? Like, you know, we, ever since we were kids, you know, we would fight and fuss and mm -hmm. so forth. And there are times, even as adults, we continue to do that. But there is a bond that we have mm. because we are brothers and sisters together. And no matter how much fussing and fighting, no matter how irritated we may get with each other, we always want the best for each other. We desire the best for one another. Yeah, I have, uh, I have two, uh, two daughters, uh, yeah. Carissa and Jordan. And when they were younger, I remember that if one was angry with the other. I remember I'd sit them on my lap and I'd say, you're going to want your sister in your wedding. Uh, so yeah, it's that idea. We want the best. We, it's it, a great it, line, it's right? this bond and connection. Yeah. yeah. So, so to have unity, we have to have this perspective that that we are family, mm -hmm. you know, and we wish the best for each other. We love each other. You know, uh, we put together uh, a couple of years ago here at Hope, five principles for community. And uh, Rick, you were a part of this process. Um, one of the principles, we're going to be looking at this, actually, those five yeah. principles uh, in November. Um, but one of the principles that we wrote is, it's better to be loving than right. It's better to be loving than right. Where did that come from? Yeah. You know, well, that came directly from Scripture. We found in 1 Corinthians 13 um, a Scripture that kind of um, says that in a different kind of way. Um, if you've been to a wedding, you know 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it many times, although it's really not about marriage. It applies, but that's not really what Paul was writing about. He was writing to the church. And this is what he said to the church. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. It's on the screen there. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, possessed all knowledge, and if I had faith, that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So here he's saying, if I knew everything there is to know, I possessed all knowledge, mm -hmm. everything that I thought and believed was true, but didn't have love, I'm nothing. Yeah. Ravi Zacharias, who was a huge intellectual in the Christian faith, he passed away just about a year ago, and, um, but he was a defender of the Christian faith, and uh, he understood world philosophies and so forth. A brilliant, brilliant mind. He said something that I will never forget. Ravi said, truth without love is obnoxious. <laughs> truth without love is obnoxious. And so here we are being called to love each other as family as a way to build unity. Now, this third pillar, uh, Rick, this is one of your favorite Greek words, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that when we were looking at these pillars, I knew the third one I was going to uh, fight for, but I, <laughs> I didn't have to fight. You gave it to me, which yeah, yeah, was great. Yeah. But yeah, so we start with sympathize with each other, then it's love each other as brothers and sisters. And the third, Peter says, is be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Okay. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. And the word that's used there in the Greek, uh, two Greek words for us uh, this morning, that's pretty good. Uh, the word this morning uh, that, that he uses is, Splagna, uh, and I've talked about this uh, 
two, three, maybe four times here because it is a favorite word of mine. It's a word that sounds like what it means. It literally means your intestines or it means your uh, bowels or, or even uh, uh, your gut, all right? It, it all right, means, easy, man. It's early morning. Come yes, on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's one of those kind of words that just splogna, you know, it just sounds like it means, right? It, it, it means that you, you feel your guts or you're having your guts ripped out of you. Like it's that kind of a visceral kind of reaction. It's describing a feeling that's something that's so deep inside you and it's moving you. It's often translated compassion. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Gospels, it's used uh, uh, several times, and each time it's used for Jesus' response to the people that he sees uh, as he's doing ministry, that he has splogna towards them. He has compassion towards them. It's because your insides are churning in response to something that's happening, and it won't let you rest until you do something. Now, the New Living Translation here uses tenderhearted and humble, and and as we mentioned already, it can sound soft or it can sound weak, but splogna is not a soft or a weak word. Really, it's this feeling uh, of what someone, you're feeling something that someone else is experiencing. You see someone else's position, so you're able to look outside yourself. I mean, it really is this selflessness in action because you see how someone else is, re, is, is, uh, is feeling, you see how they're, they're experiencing something, and then you respond to it. It's in essence, it's what for the sake of others must feel like, right? It's that idea of action and passion working together. And it, so it's certainly not weak, but I would say it's quite strong. It's allowing someone else's circumstance to impact your heart. So you're allowing someone else inside in a sense. So it, it's quite a strong word. It's to feel what someone else is feeling. And so, so th this idea of, of being tender-hearted, Peter says, it will drive us towards unity, that we can feel what someone else is feeling. And then he goes on and says, don't repay evil for evil. Now, we live in a real angry world, right? Our, our world tells us if someone harms us, then you harm them back, right? Yeah. If someone says something about you, then you say something back. But Peter is challenging us to live differently. He goes on to say, it's not on the screen, but it goes on to say, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. So when we choose to live differently, just like Christians throughout history have been living in divided cultures, our unity will impact and change the world around us. Peter tells us this is our calling and that God promises a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, he says. And what is the blessing? I would say the blessing in all of this is that a world, a culture, even lives can be changed because of the way the church community chooses to live. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King reflects I think he reflects Peter's challenge as a way to live in a divided world, and it's going to be up on the screen as well. It says this. Um, there it is. So returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. He goes on to say, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Beautiful, isn't it? Love that. It's powerful. You know, this is a call to a counterculture. You know, the culture that we're in right now is so energized and so angry. Mm. 
We live in a culture that says, if you insult me, I'm going to smack you. Mm. You smack me, I'm going to punch you. You punch me, I'm going to stab you. You stab me, I'm going to shoot you. You shoot me, I'm going to blow up your house. There's no end to this downward spiral of anger and vitriol that is going on until we take seriously the teachings of Peter, which is reflected in what Dr. King had to say, and really came from Jesus. These are the teachings of Jesus who calls us to be unified in the ways that we treat each other. Mm. I don't know if you saw the uh, vice presidential debate, but um, at the very end of that debate, the moderator had uh, gone uh, earlier in the week to schools um, there in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and asked students to write, what question would you like to ask the vice president? And she selected one of the questions. She selected the question uh, by an eighth grade girl. Uh, Her name was Brecklin Brown. And Brecklin asked the question, you know, when our leaders can't get along, how are the citizens supposed to get along? And I love the heart of that eighth grade girl Really what she was longing for there is unity. Where is the unity? And so we have a world that is so disunified, and uh, we are called as Christ followers to be unified. And Peter gave us some, some really easy, or it's not easy, simple things that we can do. We can sympathize with each other. We can be... Um, wishing the best for each other, viewing each other through the perspective of brother-sister love. Mm -hmm. And we can be tender-hearted toward each other and not get into the downward spiral of responding evil for evil. That's what unity is. That's what grace under fire really looks like. You know, it's tempting to think in a message like this, boy, I wish so-and-so heard this message. If only he heard this, if only she heard this. Here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. This is about the mirror. How are you doing in the area of sympathy? How are you doing in the area of viewing others through um, brother and sister love? How are you doing with tenderheartedness? How are you resisting the temptation to replay evil for evil? When we take that on as a personal challenge, it changes us. And as we change, it affects the ways that we relate to others and how they relate back to us. And together as the church community, we can influence our towns, our cities, our nation. So let's make that our challenge. Let's be a unified people in the way that Peter called us to be unified. Let's pray together. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for showing us your way, for teaching us your truth, the way of love, the way of unity. And Lord, we know um, all of the reasons it's difficult. We're selfish, we're self-centered. Lord, we, um, we get frustrated, we get angry and say and do things that we know are contrary to what you would have us to say and what you would have us to do. And so we pray for your forgiveness in those times that we fall short. 
But thank you, God, that you've set this standard for us. And that you give us your Holy Spirit to challenge us, to grow us, to conform us to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so, Lord, in this week ahead, bring these words to mind and help us to be your people and to show grace under fire. We'll give you the thanks and the praise, always and in all ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.